Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, friends. We are almost there. It's been quite a journey together. It's been something that we've all been preparing for for weeks and months now. We knew it would be here and just... Just know that it's all going to be over soon, one way or another. At least the election day will be over soon. I can't tell you that the election will end on the same, in the same way. Um, and, and I'll tell you some broad dynamics that I see playing out right now. It's all tightening toward Trump. Mm, what a surprise. All of a sudden, any poll that's going to show whether somebody was right or wrong is starting to hedge a bit and starting to head more toward the Trumpster. Isn't that fascinating? Why would that be the case? Hmm. You mean that some of the polling organizations out there that want to make sure that their numbers, because it's like free advertising for them, are cited by the New York Times, or or they want to please the people paying for the polls in the case of some of these uh, media organizations. right? The, The upside is always to give people weeks out from the election what they want. When it comes to these polls, you know, you tell them what they want to hear. And then as it gets closer for reasons of professional reputation, you might decide that you're going to switch things up a bit. You might decide at that point. Yeah, okay, so it's really going to be a toss up between Trump and Biden. And that is what we are seeing. A lot of phrases slipped into this polling analysis out there that if you remember, I mean, a month ago, Three, four weeks ago, even two weeks ago, if you looked at this, Biden was uh, Biden looked like it was going to be a walk in the park win for him. Now, I didn't believe that you didn't believe that. But that's what the data was telling us. That's what the pollsters were all suggesting. What the heck was that all about? I think we're going to see pollsters join journalists and fact checkers as professions that well-informed people do not trust doesn't mean that there are no good people in those professions, but they're professions where there's a lot of dishonesty. Remember the 90s when everybody used to make lawyer jokes that kind of fell out of fashion. But there are a lot of lawyer jokes in the 90s, in part because of the explosion of frivolous lawsuits and all the different ways that uh, ambulance chasing slip and fall attorney types were out there making millions. Oh, and then John Edwards, for example, uh, became almost president of the United States as one of those guys. So, you know, you look at the way that professions can change over time, the way that people's sense of whether they can trust somebody. I think pollsters are going to be something that we have to consider whether or not they're really uh, for these kinds of things. Polling about whether people like Coke or Pepsi, sure, I I believe they can give you a pretty good snapshot of that. But just like everything else, whether it's sports or comedy, now polls are politicized. That's what we're likely going. Now, this could be untrue. We could end up seeing that the pollsters nail it this year. But even if they all stay within the margin of error and they're correct, if they're all in the margin of error favoring Biden, this thesis still holds up. Let's get away from the polls. for Actually, no, wait, a couple more things. Got a seven or eight point lead in Iowa for Trump. And I'll just go on the record now. Here's what I'm feeling. And you know that one of my one of my mantras, one of my predictions is that nobody can predict the future and always be cautious about believing anybody can. 
But you can establish trends. You can analyze data and extrapolate and come to conclusions. And then you should always test and retest and see if you're correct. I think, I believe, I can't say I know, but I feel very strongly Donald Trump is going to win this election. He's going to win. I do not believe it will be a landslide for him. I think the fact that he could win even, or, or that if he does win, given what the country has gone through with COVID, it'll be almost uh, feel like a miracle because this has been the biggest gift to the Democrat Party is the misery, despair, and destruction. All the losses that we have suffered during COVID is politically a huge, let's just call it what it is, a huge advantage for Democrats. Trump running against Biden 12 months ago would have been laughable, and that's what he should have been able to do because the Trump economy and the Trump approach to governance was bearing so much fruit for all of us, including the psycho libs who hate him. The country was at peace. The country was prosperous. And if you had had this election 12 months ago, I firmly believe that you would be talking about Trump not only running the table in the industrial Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin. I do think he'd pick off Minnesota. I do think he would uh, he, he would win a few of those states that are lean blue. You know, maybe maybe even Colorado would have been in play. I mean, you know, there, there would have been some very interesting changes. Yeah, but because of covid, it's going to be a very tight election. And I think that Trump is going to get somewhere in the neighborhood. And we'll, we'll, we'll have to see after the election. This is a prediction where we can check and see if I'm right in 48 hours. So we will. I think Trump will get somewhere from 270 to 200 and let's call it 85 votes. So sub, sub 300 pretty substantially. I, you know, if, if you ask me a number, I, I feel like Trump's going to get 272, 274, something like that. Just above the threshold. And I do believe that Pennsylvania is going to determine who wins the election in the end, that that's going to be considered, as I've been saying, the keystone state is the keystone to this election. And I also think that the Democrats will refuse to concede on election night and throw the country into at least a few days, if not a few weeks, of real political friction. I, I, you know, the chaos would be a better word. And they're preparing for it already. You can tell that's why they're boarding up major cities. They were making barricades like they're getting ready for a hurricane. Of course, we know it's riots, not a hurricane. Making barricades for stores on my street where I live. Getting ready. And some of them are stores that have already been broken into and ransacked by uh, by thugs and, and Biden voters. So that's in preparation for what the Democrats will do. We'll talk more about that and, and how despicable it is that we all know that it's going to be Democrats who do it. We all know that it will be Democrats who are the ones looting, rioting and generally acting in lawless, barbaric ways. But Trump's going to win. He's going to win Ohio. He's going to win Florida. And yes, I do believe he's going to win Pennsylvania. He's going to win North Carolina. He's going to win Georgia. He's going to win Arizona. These are the places that people are pointing to and they're saying, oh, no, Biden's got this big lead or Biden. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not buying it at all. I don't think he's going to win, win Michigan and Wisconsin. That's where some of my conservative 
positively disposed toward uh, Trump's chances here. That's where that's where some break with me. And and I know that we're talking a big game about Minnesota. I just don't see it. Lovely people, but too many Democrats in Minnesota. That's the problem. So Trump wins and we'll have so much to talk about with what the next four years looks like if that occurs. And then there's also the Senate. There's the Senate. I believe that there will be a narrow Senate majority that the Republicans maintain. I think it's going to be a 50, 51 seats. That's what I see happening. It's going to be very so you're going to have a very tight presidential election with that ends up with a Republican in office and a very tight Senate election that ends up with a 51 continued majority, but a 51 seat majority for the Republicans. I think they lose a seat. As for the House of Representatives, I know uh, you're not going to want to hear it. I think it stays in Democrat hands, sadly. I just think the advantage is too big and it hasn't been a strong enough year uh, pointing to the economy and the, and the health care and all these different issues that move those individual congressional races. I, I just think that that's where we're going to be now. We'll have to revisit this and I, I could be wrong. And I told you that I was wrong in 2016. I thought I was sad about it, but I thought Hillary was going to win. I voted for Trump. I pushed for Trump, but I just figured the machinery was too powerful around her. And there just didn't seem to be enough of a... But as, as we saw, it felt like a political miracle. Can lightning strike twice? People ask that question. And they think, oh, it can. It can, actually. In fact, there are many places where lightning strikes a whole lot. So I do think that lightning will strike twice. I think that Trump will win for a second time. And the Democrats will go into spasms and fits of rage and despair, unlike anything we've ever seen before in American politics, certainly in my lifetime. That's what we're heading for, I believe, friends. But let's talk about the why. And let's also understand the Democrat, the, the forces at work right now and the Democrat mentality going into this election and what it means either for a Trump win or, heaven forbid, a Trump loss. What this party is that we are facing. That should, that should be our focus today. And that's what we'll dive into together. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Biden, they say, is a moderate. Kamala, they suggest, is not only very hip, she's a, she's a cultural elite, uh, but is a technocrat, you know, a, a lawyer, a prosecutor. These are not radicals. That's what they tell you. These are not radicals, especially right now. That's what they're saying, because they're hoping people that aren't focused on politics, aren't listening to the Buck Sexton show every day, don't know what the heck's going on in the country. And I don't say that disparagingly. They got bills to pay. They got food to buy and kids to raise and so on and so forth. And but they're going to go into that polling booth tomorrow in Ohio, in Iowa, in Florida. And they're going to be thinking, well, Who's better? Who's better for me? Who's going to make things feel more normal after a very abnormal year? Who's going to be that return to normalcy? And that's what they're posing Biden and Kamala as. That's what they're trying to convince us all is true of Biden and Kamala. Unfortunately, that's not reality. Biden is whatever the party, whatever the apparatchiks within the party decide he should be. And Kamala is, by voting record, the most left-wing member of the Senate. 
It does remind me quite a bit of Barack Obama, who ran as a centrist uniter, a kind of messianic figure for America and was the furthest left member of the United States Senate at the time. So this is what Democrats keep doing. They have tickets that they put forward for the presidential race that they tell us are moderate. They tell us are down the center. But when it really comes down to it, you look at the actions of the people running before and they're either a vessel for the far left, as in Joe Biden, or they are openly themselves far left in their actions like Barack Obama and Kamala Harris. But they pretend to be something else to win the election. I have a perfect example of that for you here. This, I believe, is a Kamala Harris ad. It was making the rounds yesterday. I saw this and I I almost couldn't believe it was real at first because it's so honest. It's so honest about the Democrat left and, yes, socialist view of American society. And this is why they believe they should have so much government power. This is why they believe you should bend the knee to them on any issue because they are the great champions of equity. And you would say, wait a second, what, is, what does that even really mean? What it means is that they're able to look and see parts of society that are unequal. And instead of allowing for the fact that society will always be unequal, that we are not equal in talents, gifts, hard work, ability, luck. Well, we're not equal in those things. That's the price we pay to live in a free society, that freedom results in unequal outcomes. Some people decide to show up all the time, on time, work really hard, better themselves, you know, stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol, get married, stay married, get enough sleep, take care of themselves, focus on their education, and they get to enjoy the uh, upside of that sound decision-making. Other people are just, you know, pounding whole boxes of Frito-Lays and playing too much Call of Duty and don't really want to show up on time for work and don't really... And, you know, it's not about blaming people, but it's about choices. We live in a society full of choices. And there have been societies where that's not the case. And I'll be getting into that in a moment. We know what that's like. And it's misery. And it makes everyone poorer. And it makes everyone less off. And quite honestly, it really negates at some level the human experience. It takes away central aspects of your existence. If you do not have choice, what's the point? But Kamala wants you to know that any difference in wealth, status, health, you name it, any of those things in our society need to be stamped out, need to be stamped out by the government. This is her ad narrated in her voice. Play three. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests, oh, everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. So if we're all getting the same amount, but you started out back there and I started out over here, we can get the same amount, but you're still going to be that far back behind me. It's about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be on equal footing and then compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. Now, put aside the kind of corny background music or, you know, the the sort of cheesy uh, production values here. 
Put that aside for a second. This is communism, friends. What, what she's describing is the philosophy of communism, that the state will make up for all the imbalances among people and the state will have to be empowered to bring us all to the same place in the end. This is the central philosophical appeal of Marxism. This is the basis upon which hundreds of millions of people throughout the 20th century were imprisoned, tortured, murdered, impoverished, forced into despair for generations. This notion is very, it can be very seductive at first. Empower the government to make us all the same in the end. She's saying it explicitly. Empower the government to make us all the same when it comes to what we have and who we are and what we've accomplished. I can look at my life and, and in honesty, determine different points where I could have made a better decision. I could have worked harder during that period. I could have made a better choice on this issue. And I try to learn from that and grow and understand that there are people who are just lucky. There are people who are just born with certain gifts, abilities, and talents. We all have something. We all have different things that we bring to the table. But if we're going to live in a free and prosperous society, part of that is accepting that some people have better parents than other people. Straight up. Some people are born with a lot of money and a lot of advantages. Some people come from nothing. And you just got to work with what you've got. When we talk about equality, what we mean is a legal system that treats people the same way and that our underlying uh, foundation as a society, that we are all human beings who are equal in dignity, worth, and value in the eye of God. But we don't all get to have a Maybach in front of our $5 million mansion and show up for work when we feel like it. No, we, we don't all get to have that. And Kamala is showing you here what the Democrat Party's really turned into. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Let's remind ourselves of just who the Democrats hold up as, as the answer to this country's prayer right now for uh, beating, beating COVID, a return to normalcy, all these things that we want so very badly. Let, let's remind ourselves who the man is that's supposed to lead us out of this darkness. This is what they'll tell us. While Trump and Biden are crisscrossing the country now at a, at a furious pace, trying to make their final pitch, I, I think you should at least listen to the man. Let's, let's give Joe Biden a fair shake today and hear what he's got to say. Play 11. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. There you go. True international effort to pressure. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. Come on. I'm the talking points are getting scrambled upstairs and the seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch eating a lot of acorns on Joe Biden's ranch. True international effort to pressure. <laughs> come on guys how many of you 
have, have had a like I, I, I speak extemporaneously for hours and hours and hours every day. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll mumble something a little bit. But I mean, that was that was what just I mean, I'm we're playing you as audio. You know, Trump might mispronounce a word or he has a very particular cadence and way of saying things. I've never heard him say, I mean, that sounded like what somebody who is uh, has a high fever and is actually delirious. That sounded like something that that they would say. That sounded like something that, uh, you know, if you somebody was at one hundred and three hundred and four fever, which I mean, if you ever get up there, it's really bad. And it's scary because they'll kind of start mumbling stuff and they don't. I've been there. I know what it's like to be delirious from a high fever. And you think you're speaking, but everyone else is like, what is this person saying? That's what Joe that that's this is the, supposed to be the leader of the free world is almost 80 years old, folks. And Democrats are like, yeah, you got to vote for him because he's going to effectively mobilize their True international average pressure. Um, and you got another one here. Here's uh, here's him talking about about uh, health care where, where he's supposed to have the big advantage. Play 12. Brock and I think it's a right for people to have bad health care. Wait, what is bad at health care? Bad at health care. Yeah, I mean, you get it, guys. Now, look, they're they're the ones that are insisting. They're the ones that are insisting that the problem here is Donald Trump and that Joe Biden is the guy who's going to who's going to answer. Answer the call, right? That this is the person that we're supposed to think is going to return everything to normalcy and, and make everything so much better. And I, I do think that it's it's at least fair to ask the question, what evidence is there of that? There is evidence of one thing and one thing only that I can say goes in that column. He is not Donald Trump. I think that's it, though. I think beyond that, you'd, you'd have to wonder, what is the pitch here? He was around. He was a. Uh, just kind of hanging out during Barack's years. I mean, it was a he was supposed to be a foreign policy specialist and the Obama administration's foreign policy is so terrible that the media realizes it's a risk to even try to bring that up much against Trump to try to anything that brings the comparison to mind between Trump and Obama on foreign policy looks bad for Obama. I mean, they'll talk about the Iran deal, which anybody who knows the deal, understands was was crap and and also feels that that seething irritation from having the most powerful country in the world give some rinky dink dictatorship in Iran pallets of cash delivered to them, you know, in cash like they were holding us hostage as a country, you know, pay off the mullahs. That was the Obama team approach. Never mind the disasters in Syria and Libya and Iraq and deterioration in Afghanistan, all these things that happened. Total mess. They didn't even bring up foreign policy. But Joe Biden was the foreign policy guy of the Obama administration. That's why he got he got brought into it. And this is a guy who anyone who has worked in foreign policy, it's, it's a joke. Joe Biden, even in the you know national security expertise circles, and I know these circles because I used to exist within them as somebody at the CIA and then afterwards, everyone laughs about Joe Biden. And this is a guy who's been wrong on everything for 40 years. Every, de- every time the U.S. had to make a foreign policy decision, 
Joe Biden was useful and that he was so reliably wrong. His judgment was so consistently poor that all you really had to know was what side of the issue is Joe Biden on. And you'd want to be on the other side. He's like the guy at the at the blackjack table that, you know, if, if he's if he's going what? Well, I guess it depends on, on your cards, too. But he's the guy at the sports betting place. There you go. Where whatever team he's betting on, you want to bet on the team that's playing them. That was Joe Biden on foreign policy. But, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's going to make everything better. And, he, and here he is in another Biden. We got all these Biden. This is just from the last few days. Play 13. This isn't a political statement like those ugly folks over there beeping the horns. This is a patriotic duty, for God's sake. It's your patriotic duty to wear a mask, he's telling you. He also called them ugly folks. I know that. But see, that's. That's kind of funny. I play that not to pretend like that's a that's that's different than, you know, leading an effective strategy to mobilize. True international pressure. Exactly. That that's a different thing. When he says uh, when he says, you know, ugly folks, look, he's speaking. uh, You know, he's he didn't mean that their faces are ugly. Right. That's it's not like when he's when he called the supporter a long uh, lying dog faced pony soldier or call the guy fat. And then they tried to claim that he was saying something else, like fella. I don't know. They had some line about this. Uh, what was the other? They had another. Oh, he went, when he started talking about George Bush, but they really four more years of George Lopez. They were saying, yeah, yeah, sure. Four more years of George Lopez. That's what he was talking about. That makes a lot of sense. But look, the, the media. Remember, it's like a lawyer in a courtroom. If you think of journalists as unscrupulous lawyers for the Democrat Party, everything makes sense. Nothing surprises you anymore because, you know, a lawyer that's unscrupulous will make all kinds of arguments in court that are pathetic and and anybody should be able to see through them. And they're not based in justice and they're not based in what's right. It's just whatever will work, whatever will work in the moment for my client. You know, whatever will work in the moment, they'll, they'll attack the credibility of a witness that should be, you know, beyond reproach, all, all the stuff. Right. And they'll say, oh, it's because. I have to do what's best for my client. And that's lawyers. And that is the that is the system that we have. But I'm just saying, think of journalists like unscrupulous lawyers for the Democrat Party. And you'll know every move they're going to make. You'll know everything that they're going to do. Um, but but uh, Biden here, you know, making his reference to the folks, folks being ugly. Uh, there's no question that New York City, Washington, D.C. and some other Democrat strongholds are on edge over the next 24 hours or so. And we're on edge not because we're worried about generalized violence. We're on edge not because there's a concern that maybe someone somewhere from who knows what political party is going to act out in in mobs and riots meant to intimidate, meant to destroy, meant to meant to show some kind of vengeance against American society which is ultimately what this is about. No, what we are seeing is preparation for Democrat riots. Over the weekend, I see a Wolf Blitzer at CNN shared some tweet about how distressing it was that businesses all over downtown D.C., an area I've lived in and know very well, businesses are setting up really serious, large, sturdy wooden barricades and and boarding up their windows and their uh, their store, their uh, door fronts, all of this 
in preparation for election day stuff. That's not the country we're supposed to be. And, and I agree when Democrats like Wolf Blitzer point that out. That's, we're not supposed to be that country. The problem is they are the reason we're not that country. The problem is it is Democrats who refuse to accept that they don't necessarily get their way. They didn't in 2016 and they may not again. That's why we all have to deal with this degree of fear. And it is absolutely shameful. It's shameful that this is where we are. And we should also know who deserves to be shamed for it. And it's not Trump supporters. I saw over the weekend these massive Trump convoys, one in Beverly Hills, all over the place. And the convoy, I think there was one that was supposed to be 100 miles long or something in Arizona. I mean, these convoys are enormous. Thousands and thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of vehicles. And I'm, I'm all in favor. I think that's great. And I see the Trump rallies over the weekend were absolutely huge. And the, the photos of all the people gathered. It, it makes me feel better about the future of this country when I see all of that. I can also tell you that I find it very discouraging that the people that are supposed to be bringing us information about the state of this country, the nature of our democracy, the mainstream media, not only refuses to be honest about where the threat of violence on Election Day comes from, but they are largely to blame for creating that environment. They have been saying the president of the United States is a, a usurper, effectively, is, is a guy with a, who stole an election on behalf of the Russians, that he was part of a Russian plot. This was all a lie. They've never apologized. They've never come forward to say, we're sorry we got this one wrong. No, no, quite the opposite. They, they double down. Now, now they've gone with he should be impeached because of a Ukraine phone call for an investigation uh, request that involved Hunter Biden that, as we know, was 100% legitimate. Hunter Biden was running corrupt games and selling the office of the vice president. We all know it. We've got proof. We've got evidence. Couldn't be any more clear. Media is debasing itself to avoid that. Absolutely debasing itself. And so we have to ask the question, why would we ever trust them again? Why would we ever believe in what they tell us? And I think we shouldn't. But the violence will come from the left. We all know it. We all Democrats, Biden voters, just as they were doing to the, the country all summer with the BLM riots and the left. There's some study that says 700 people have died from covid because of Trump rallies. Hmm. Where's the really it's just based on modeling, which is garbage in, garbage out. Where's the really intense, you know, scientifically and mathematically sound study of all the people who died from covid from the BLM marches? Mm, no, nothing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think so. Thanks for listening to the best of Buck Daily podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Every day, every day. Every day, every day. Every day, every Every city, every town, burn the precincts to the ground. Those are Biden voters. Those are leftists, Democrats, mostly. I mean, I don't know if they're all registered, but they support the Democrat Party. And I think we have to take their threats seriously. In fact, I know we have to take them seriously because they have burned down police precincts. They've actually done that. 
So why should we think this is harmless rhetoric? Well, there's no good answer to that other than Democrats always act like their base is the fringe, when in fact what they hold up as the fringe is, in, is really their base. That those who are the most committed to a radical socialist future for this country are the truest believers in the Democrat Party today. And that's why Kamala Harris's little uh, communism tour that we just had in that in that ad, the, the little uh, visitation of communism upon us. I mean, that was pretty astonishing. I mean, think about this. She's actually telling you that the differences in our society, the differences in the way that we end up are the results of a system that is inequitable. And so you have to create a system that will deal with it. Does anyone really believe that such a perfect system could be created? No. What really happens, and we've seen this play out through, uh, through history, what really happens is that when you empower the state to make decisions for you, when you empower the government to be making all of the major choices in our lives, who gets what, who goes where, how much can you have, how much can you keep, doesn't get rid of the problems of inequity in society. Right. But again, the transition of words here is not a minor thing. This is important. It's important to understand what it does, though, when you empower the state in that way is it gives it an excuse to indulge in even more social engineering. It'll say, OK, so we've been doing this and we've made some progress, but there's still inequity to be. Challenged, there's still inequity that we have to change. And say, well, that means you need even more power, right? Oh, no, at that point, we don't get to say that. You know why? Because we won't be able to stop it. Because they'll be in control of so much of the system already that now it's just up to those who are in charge. But then if we if we go back and look at what happens to the people who are in charge, we also get a very important lesson. The Kamala's, the Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's. Do you think that they suffer? No, they don't suffer. Because while they mouth all of the pre-approved slogans, about equity while they're running around telling everybody about how they how life is not fair. And the only reason your neighbor's got a bigger house and a nicer car than you is because the system gave it to him. But you've worked just as hard. You're just as smart. You're just as valued economically in our society, which is not the same thing as being valued as a human being. I mean, this is a very straightforward you. you if somebody walks past you and they've got a $50,000 Rolex on. I mean, they probably, I mean, some of you probably have really nice watches, but I'm saying they, they might have more money than you do. But if they walk past you and they punch you in the face, they're going to get arrested for assault if you call the police and no one cares that they've got money. That's the difference between equality and an equity. Equity complaints are, why does this person have a nicer watch than me? Equality complaints are, why is this person able to steal from me and not get punished or attack me, violate my rights and not have the state intervene on my side. That's the difference in equality and equity. The Democrats, you will notice, are focused in here. This is not minor. This is central to their philosophy. This is central to the way that they view the world and the way that they insist that they should govern. And they're not going to ask when, once they get the power. They're going to demand. They're going to tell you. This is the dictatorial impulse of the Democrats on display, what they're saying is 
any different results in the in the end for anything is somehow evidence of a bias is evidence of, of a system being unfair. And they never really stop to think or they don't care if they do. What makes them think that they can create a more fair system? Exactly. Not a system based in equality, which we have, except for actually some places in our system where, for example, in affirmative action, there are eliminations of equality as a function of law. We are not actually treated equally because of programs like affirmative action. There is inequality in the system, and it is only for chosen minority groups. Really interesting statistic came out over the weekend. Asian females in America now, on a per capita basis, earn more money than the evil white male. White males, the, the scourge of all humanity, the, the creators of colonialism and the patriarchy and all this stuff that people are unfortunately being brainwashed with this nonsense all the time. Notice white males, we get all that we, we have all these these lib radical pseudo intelligentsia types talking about how damaging and dangerous white males are all the time. But they're never like, well, we also want to say thank you to white males for some of the good things that they've done throughout history. No, there's never that. That's not a discussion that ever gets had. There's, there's no upside. We're just the oppressors. Well, somehow we've created a system in America. And I guess, you know, we all have our hand in this one. It's not just white males, but we've created a system in America where they're so good at, at enforcing the patriarchy and being oppressors that now white males are out-earned by female Asian Americans on a per capita basis. So they're making more money. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? What, what, what kind of system, what kind of oppressors create a system where they're not going to be in, uh, they're not in first place? You know what I mean? When it comes to earning power. That's very strange. Do you think that there were people who were more powerful and better off in the communist system than members of the Politburo? Do you think there were people that were living better than those making the decisions in the communist hierarchy in name any communist country? No. So as long as the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and the Kamala's and the, you know, you, you just name a powerful Democrat, the Cuomo's, the Newsom's, as long as they get to be a part of this apparatus that determines what equity needs to be addressed, changed by the government. As long as that's happening, um, they'll be fine because they'll always make sure there are carve outs. I mean, they're special. There are carve outs for them, their family. Look at Gavin Newsom. His, his children are going to a very fancy private school, still open, still having private school instruction. But his base, his psycho liberal base, demands that there are all kinds of school closures in California. So that's what ends up happening for public school kids. Too bad for them. Isn't it also amazing how many people are big proponents of how great the teachers unions are and public school systems all throughout the Democrat Party, and they do everything they can to send their children to very expensive elite private schools, even though they live in fancy neighborhoods that probably have pretty decent public schools? No, it's never their kids that they want to sacrifice to the system. And that's true of themselves as well. And that's why this Kamala line here about about, you know, equity uh, and how we have disparate outcomes in the end. Well, Kamala Harris is is on the vice presidential ticket and she's somebody who's done nothing particularly impressive in her life other than work the system. But she wants to tell you that the system is horribly oppressive, sexist, racist and xenophobic. 
And if you put people who have her perspective in charge, and Joe Biden will just share whatever perspective she tells him to, they're going to make all of this better. This is the foundational lie of communism and socialism. And remember, the communists in the early days referred to themselves as socialists. Marx constantly wrote about socialism and socialists. So we think there's this huge separation. We're led to believe there's this massive separation between the two when really they are very, they are, they are near cousins. They might even be considered siblings in political philosophy. So what do we, what do we see from all of this? They let the mask slip sometimes, friends. You, you begin to understand what the Democrat Party is really about. They can never have enough power and never infringe upon your rights or your freedom enough because they'll, they're never able to eradicate the inequity that is inherent in the human condition. Understand this, even in the most radical of circumstances, even the most radical of circumstances, which I think you'd consider for communist purposes, the Soviet Union to be, and you can find other places as well, there were enormous inequities. There were people who lived much longer than others. There were people who were better looking, people who were smarter, people who had nicer houses. And then when you added in the bureaucrats and the actual apparatus of communism, enormous, enormous differences in the food and the health care and the housing that those individuals received. And their whole mission, remind yourself of this, their whole mission was to eradicate those differences. So the people whose reason for getting out of bed in the morning, the bureaucrats who justified their very position under the promise that they would eliminate, as Kamala discusses here, inequity in society, a different end state, different results from life choices. Those people were the greatest evidence of inequity in the society. Does anyone think that wouldn't happen again? And now you could say, Buck, come on, Joe Biden doesn't want the tax rate to be 80% on you know, people making above $400,000 a year. He wants it to be you know, 60%. Yeah, it's all incremental, friends. It all comes from this very basic separation within our worldview. You can either take the perspective that life is, life is unfair. Life is unfair. A lot of us wish that we were taller, smarter, you know, more beautiful, more handsome, that, you know, we, we had been born, you know, a billionaire or born the greatest baseball player in the world or whatever, right? Everyone has the, the things that they wish they could change. Of course, they don't really know the struggles that those people that they look at, especially if they read too much of these tabloids and everything else, they think, oh, they're so beautiful and so happy. Really? It's actually a lot of misery for many of those people. A lot of emptiness, but that's another conversation. But we all wish that things could be perfect, and they're not. But we can either adopt a found, and I, this is a foundational point of life philosophy here, your approach to day to day. You can either understand that what matters is how you act, how you treat other people, how you try to work to better yourself, whether you're a moral person, an honorable per person, somebody who you know, people want to work with and have as a neighbor, have as a friend, a family member. That's what actually matters. All that other stuff, you know, having a Maserati and a six pack or, you know, 
looking like a, you know, a, a 10 out of 10 in a bikini or whatever, whatever these things are, these superficial aspects of society or or thinking that people are all going to have the same health outcomes. I wish I could eat gluten, friends, but I can't. You know, and you've got countless people listening to this who have far more serious health problems than that. And they go through life as as in, as, as heroes to others around them just by being really good people. Ah, but but empower Kamala Harris. She cares so much about you. Empower her, Biden, the Democrats, and the mainstream media who are all aspiring to separate themselves from the very policies they create for the rest of us. You know, they're all looking down at us from their mansions in Bel Air and the Hamptons telling us, and the people who aren't there yet, who are part of this apparatus, are just scrambling to get there as fast as possible. That's their, that's their life's mission. But they're really pretending to care about the poor and the struggling. And all they're really going to do is squeeze and hold down the middle class, squeeze and make life harder for those who already feel like their challenges are not appreciated by the left wing apparatus, that they that the ability to show up to do a job where you are underappreciated and underpaid, but know that that's what you have to do for now and you find honor and dignity in doing it, in being responsible, the Democrat Party doesn't really have much, uh, much feeling or respect at all for that group. Democrats have turned to a party of elites and whiners and dependents. You've either made your millions, you've either put yourself in a great position, become some bureaucrat of the public school system making 180 grand a year, does basically nothing. You've either milked the system effectively or you're demanding that others provide milk for you from the system. That is the Democrat Party of today. And everybody else who's saying, I'll take it upon my own shoulders, I'll find my own way. They're getting squeezed in the middle and told, you're not doing enough. In fact, you haven't built that. You haven't earned that. And so we can take it from you. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Are you concerned at all uh, that President Trump might prematurely declare victory based on that? And when do you think we'll know who won Michigan? Well, I think that's a very real possibility, and that's why we are trying to make sure that everyone in the press understands the volume of votes that are coming in is like nothing we've ever seen before. And it is going to take time to count. And it's more important that we get a count that is accurate than a count that is fast and might not be accurate. And that's why uh, we will continue to keep you posted. Uh, We will be very transparent and give you regular updates. But we want to get this count right. They're going to keep you posted, she says. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we all need to prepare for this because there was, at least for me, psychologically, the election was going to be a moment of exhalation. Okay, I, I just want to know what our future is, right? I, I want to know. I want it to be done that night. And yes, I want Donald Trump to be president. But I don't think that's going to end up happening. Now, I think that we'll see... Trump is leading and Trump will probably end up winning, probably end up winning after the election. It's not going to be a huge win. It's going to be a win, though. But they're going to say no. This is another part of my prediction. I I don't see a future in which 
uh, Trump gets to declare victory and the Democrats concede. That's not the same thing on election night. And notice they're already planting the seed here. The governor of Michigan, the district, I mean, the uh, state attorney general for Pennsylvania. They're already preparing for a legal fight over this election. They haven't seen there's no reason to believe that they'll have to do that. There's no uh, no reason to think that that's going to be the way this plays out. But they are preparing for that. They're getting ready to drag it out. And then things will get really ugly because, as we saw in 2000 with the Bush v. Gore recount situation, uh, they will want to change the rules in real time. It's about democracy, they'll say, when it comes to ballots that aren't filled out, ballots that, you know, they, they lack a signature, ballots that arrive late, ballots that, you know, whatever it may be. You know, there'll be there'll be cases of people doing ballot harvesting that where they're not supposed to and they'll say, oh, there's no fraud. Don't worry. I mean, it's going to be an absolute mess. And that's the way the Democrats want it, because they figure if they can turn this into a street fight. They'll win. I mean, think about what's happening now on the streets. They're boarding up stores. They're preparing for unrest and all kinds of madness. And it's because of Democrats that that's what's going on. We, we all know that. We all understand that. You don't think that that same frenetic, lunatic energy is going to be applied to whatever ends up happening on election night when it gets extended? You don't think that they're going to still have the, the shock troops of the Democrat Party out there? And then they'll be bringing their lawyers with them, too. There'll be a lot more. So I think that Pennsylvania gets delayed. I also think that places like Michigan, perhaps, you know, you might have you might have a couple of states that say, sorry, we, we don't have a full count for you yet. And it's going to be a tight enough election that that could very well be the difference. So they, they've set it up. The only way that we have a, a, a both sides agreed upon victory election night is if Joe Biden takes, you know, Ohio, Florida and, and all the rest of the blue states. Then, then it's then it's lights out, folks. And we'll we'll regroup. We'll be OK. We'll come back and we'll hopefully have a set. If we have a Senate majority, they're basically going to make sure they sit on the Biden agenda and very little happens for the at least for the next uh, two years anyway. So that's the best that I can tell you for a silver lining on that one. And I'm sure there'll be some other races that turn out well for Republicans and we'll be able to say that's that's promising. I'm really pulling for my friends Sean Parnell in PA 17 and uh, Anna Paulina down in uh, Tampa, Tampa, Florida, Anna Paulina Luna, hoping they both win their congressional seats. That would be fantastic. Uh, and they'll, they'll both be real forces in the Republican Party, uh, either you know individually, if hopefully they both win. They'll be doing very well. And... Uh, that's that's very important, I think, for everyone to understand expectations wise here. I think I'm going to be talking to you Wednesday and you can follow me on obviously social media. I'll be real time commenting on all this and and watch election night coverage on the first TV. Please do that as well. If you haven't downloaded the first app, it's free. Just download it to your smartphone. You can watch me, Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash anytime you want. Uh, we'll be doing live coverage election night. So, you know, I think I'm going to be talking to you saying it's looking good for Trump, but the Democrats are trying they're, they're trying to play games here. They're refusing to accept a loss. And that's just so ironic, isn't it? Because, as we know, we, we always hear about how Trump 
refuses to accept a loss. And for the second time, I believe we're going to see Democrats refusing to accept a loss. I mean, think of the the hyperbolic nature of the rhetoric that they use to describe this whole contest. Play six. Well, it's just a reminder that we still find ourselves in the civil rights movement. And right now we have the opportunity to write the next chapter in our civil rights history. You know, what were fire hoses and dogs are today's what happened in my district, arson at drop boxes, is voter uh, voter suppression intimidation uh, with long lines. So it is just more of the same, but it is also why we must be more emboldened than ever before when our democracy, our livelihood, and our very lives are all on the ballot. Hmm. But it is, uh, it is uh, infuriating. Our democracy and our lives are on the ballot. What's that all about? How are our lives on the ballot? I mean, that, that seems quite extreme, doesn't it? And this discussion of, of, of the new civil rights era, where is this, this voter intimidation taking place? You know, they, they speak in this very vague, Democrats will speak in these very vague terms about voter, voter suppression. It's everywhere, but they can never really find it. It's a little bit like systemic racism. It's everything and everywhere, but there's no real instance of it they're going to point to and be able to make the argument, well, that's the systemic racism we're talking about. And when they do, it's usually a very weak argument. You say, well, hold on, where is this systemic racism? Where is this systemic voter suppression? Right? You know, you would think that voting, which is a process, should have rules, and those rules should be enforced. But the closer we get to the actual election, you can see that the Democrat viewpoint on this is uh, rules don't count if discounting the rules helps us. If ignoring what the actual rules are is to our benefit, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to pretend that anybody who does believe in the rules, anybody who does think that we should um, have, you know, it, it should be more defined based on what's actually written down instead of what the Democrats will benefit from politically. That person is a, engaged in voter suppression. They're a bad person. Someone you can't trust, someone you they, they're part of the anti-civil rights movement of our day. So just get, get ready for that, my friends. The fight around all of this, around this election, I do not believe it will be over tomorrow night. In fact, the only way it's over tomorrow night, really, is if Biden wins by a substantial margin. Because our side won't do this. And I know some of you don't even want to hear this. Don't, don't change that dial. I'm just, I'm just saying. But if Biden wins, we're going to say, wow, okay, COVID, tough year. Trump did his best. Great presidency. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we've got some other great people that are in the mix here four years from now. And we got to start thinking about the midterms and running the opposition against the Biden agenda. And, you know, we, we go on with our lives. That's it. We're not going to burn down stores and loot and riot. And that's what Democrats do. And I got to tell you, I saw a little bit of stuff over the weekend where it seemed like some Trump supporters just in one case were shutting down a bridge. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not helping. It's not good. Let the other side be the 100% of the politically motivated law-breaking by mobs, all the stupid stuff they do, the, you know, blocking traffic and, and you know, running wild in the streets and the mob violence and all that stuff. Let that be entirely Democrats. Do not do those kinds of tactics on the right. I'm sorry, you know, I love the caravans. I love the enthusiasm and the rallies. Amazing. And I'm so thankful that people out there who support Trump as much as I do are doing that stuff. 
We only had like one or two instances, but you know what happens now? Those get all the focus. You know, you shut down the Mario Cuomo bridge and who knows? And I, I couldn't find anywhere. Was it shut down for, you know, two minutes or an hour? If it was two minutes, okay. I mean, not great, but like not the end of the world. If it's an hour or 30 minutes, we got a problem, folks. Can't do that. Libs do that crap. Libs pull that nonsense. We don't do that stuff. You know, if nothing else, the Republican Party is the party of civilization, law and order, and a a society run by emotionally stable adults. That's what the Republican Party of Donald Trump right now represents, as opposed to their opponents on the other side. 